Good morning. You can have a seat. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Um, I'm really glad that you decided to make us uh, a part of your long weekend, your holiday weekend. Third of July, my favorite holiday. So welcome today. That was a joke. Trying to get you warmed up. Uh, and all the fun people are at the lake. I don't know. Just I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to have a really good time. I uh, just want to tell you, uh, welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, if you're looking to get connected in any way, um, yeah, please introduce yourself to somebody. If it's your first weekend around here, you're visiting from out of town, whatever. We're, we're just glad you're here and glad to get you uh, involved and connected in any way that we can. Uh, we are in a series right now in the book of Ephesians, uh, working our way to, through it. Uh, this morning we find ourselves in, in, in chapter 3. And leading up to this, we've kind of laying the groundwork. Uh, there's kind of a few different uh, themes in the book of Ephesians, one of those being like our identity in Christ, some other themes being like our position uh, as a collective whole, as the church. Like how do we relate to God as our people? Where do we exist positionally with him? And so moving into chapter 3, we're really getting into some of the meat of the book of Ephesians. I'm really excited uh, to be working through it. Uh, uh, I've got this week and next week uh, teaching out of Ephesians, and then I am out for uh, my little sabbatical that's going on. If you don't know anything about that, I'm going to be posting uh, on Discord this week a little bit more about it, maybe even all of social media. Uh, wouldn't that be exciting, uh, just to let you guys know. But uh, I I'm really excited to get to teach these two messages because I think they're really crucial parts of the book of seeing how... Uh, 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 God wishes for uh, for us to see ourselves in a certain way, truly wishes to change our perspective on many things. Uh, and, and as I was reading through this passage this week, I, I was thinking about uh, the way that we think about perspective shifts in our culture. Like, how do we how do we think about uh, tough situations, difficult moments? What are we looking for? Uh, and I was reminded of these words from this song, which will be on the screen behind me. Uh, this song is called Thoughts from the ER. Uh, it's from one of my favorite uh, groups called Lawrence. Uh, and, and it's the, the, the person singing is trying to process this moment and what they're feeling as they sit in despair, not knowing what's going to happen with their loved one uh, who's beside, behind the scenes. And it says this, uh, there it goes, life as I know it, just like that and nothing's the same. It took only one single moment for everything around me to change. Now the sky is at its darkest, but I've been trying my hardest to look for a reason or rhyme, yet I can't seem to find a little thread of silver lining. Often in our culture, when we think about uh, pivotal, uh, crucial moments in our lives that are, that are low, that are sad, that are hard, we lean on this idea of a silver lining, don't we? Uh, maybe there's a little piece of this that is ultimately good. Maybe, maybe if I can look through the pain, I can find that thing that will carry me through. Uh, maybe, though, if you're like me, you're like, man, there are some things that just nothing, no way that I look at it can I see a different perspective. All I, all I feel is pain. Uh, all I feel is complete loss. There's no silver lining. There's no good element to this in this moment. Um, what I think Paul offers us here today is not a silver lining. Um, it's not a way to see small pieces of good in inherently bad situations. Instead, what I think Paul is going to do as he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 3 is he's going to offer them three distinct changes in his perspective that are also offered to the Ephesian believers. And then he's going to sum that up as we get to the last verses that we'll cover today uh, with an overall complete shift in the way that the Ephesians see themselves. What is their identity and position? How should they see 
and have perspective on their lives. Uh, the first shift is in Ephesians 3, starting at, uh, ooh, Chris left his Bible up here, and it's way nicer than mine. This is exciting. I think. Is this mine? I don't know. I've got like a couple. I think this is Chris's. Mine's not silver. Mine now. Enjoy up north. Didn't bring his Bible. Mm, well, might, might want to email him. That's awful. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 says this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. This ministry was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. Uh, So Paul uh, asked them to look back for a moment to what he was talking about in chapter 2 where he was talking about uh, this thing that God had done in in offering salvation not just to the Jewish people but to the Gentiles too and had created this new people that while diverse in their expression, in the way that they looked and spoke and their culture was one people in and under Christ. And so Paul in this moment, I I like how the commentator uh, Robinson refers to this. He says it's almost as if he can hear his chains for a moment because Paul is almost certainly writing this while imprisoned. And so Paul has this moment of kind of looking back and a little bit uh, of reflection in this moment. And I think the first perspective shift that we see here is this shift from seeing the ministry or the calling that we've been given as Christians as being a burden or or, or painful to being a gift, Uh, from from burden to gift. Uh, Paul looks back on on his calling, not just to ministry, but specifically his calling to bring the gospel to Gentiles. He says, "Uh, I was given this on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, he's not saying this pejoratively like, you stinking people that God made me go for, like I'm Fourth of July weekend, and I'm up here, and everybody else is having, why did God, no, he's not saying that. He's saying, I want you to think about the ministry that I was given, and he's speaking to Ephesus, because what had happened in Ephesus is that when Paul came and preached the gospel to these people, that as it began to change people's lives in Ephesus, that there was this uproar, there were riots, and this ends up leading to Paul's first imprisonment because of the uproar that happened when he preached the gospel to the Ephesians. It began to stir things. People were like, man, maybe maybe this guy's up to no good. Maybe this guy's not good for our culture, because he's taking this peaceful moment. All these people who used to make money off of selling idols and all these other things are really stirred up. He says, remember the ministry I was given to you Gentiles. And he's remembering that as he thinks of himself as a prisoner. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you remember everything that I just said. Paul teaches here that even though he sees the ministry that he's been called to as a gift, sometimes it's really, really hard. Paul, over and over again, here he refers to it as the administration of God's grace. He says, I've been given this calling to administrate the calling of God's grace on your lives as Gentiles. I wasn't called to go to my own people because Paul was a Jewish man with the pedigree of a Jewish scholar being trained to be a leader within the Pharisee sect that he was a part of, which was extremely zealous and would have been a position of a lot of status for Paul to continue in that life. He says, I was instead given the administration of bringing the grace of God to you Gentiles. Even though he sees his ministry as a gift from God, in this moment, he is just reflecting on the fact 
that it has been extremely hard. Think about like, uh, so when I planted River City, and many different church planners have this experience that when they're preparing to plant a church, they go uh, to some sort of assessment and they try and work through like, hey, hey, how, how does your calling line up with what you're doing? Where can we maybe speak into your life in some way? And by and large, this is a really helpful and good thing. But I was thinking about if Paul, uh, this Jewish man with like this pedigree of a Jewish leader who then got saved by Jesus, if he would have went to this committee and been like, hey, I'm Paul, I am a, I am a super Jew. Like I have like all these qualifications, like I know everything about these people and yet, yet Jesus has saved me. Like I can go in any place in the Jewish culture and they're like, all right, this guy's going to play it like an awesome church reaching out to Jewish people where he's from. And he's like, I would like to go to the Gentiles. They would have been like, no, you failed your assessment, right? I'd be like, this plan doesn't make sense. Why would you go to a people group that's not your people group? Why would you not minister where God has clearly called you? They might have looked at his calling, what God had clearly told him to do, and they might have set it aside. They might have said, no, why wouldn't you go to the place that's more culturally easy for you? Why wouldn't you step into what is accessible for you? And yet Paul had this calling to something that was more burdensome, that would lead to more difficulty for him, both in criticism from his Jewish brothers who didn't even love always the ministry that he had to Gentiles, as well in the uproar and the pain that would come in seeing the worship of the one true God step into places where it had never been before. And so conceptually, it's, it's this for you and I, that, that we must maintain our perspective on the calling and the ministry that God has given us as a gift, not just a burden. Even though it will sometimes be burdensome, God may and maybe even has called you into communities that are hard. He's maybe called you, uh, maybe, maybe you're just a mom or a dad at home. My wife's doing a clinical uh, internship this uh, summer in Battle Creek, and so it's basically like I'm a single dad for a while. Like, it's really, it's really crazy. Maybe God has called you to ministry in your household, and maybe uh, you, like me, your kids don't always do what you think they were going to do, right? Maybe sometimes it's hard. Uh, maybe God has called you outside the house to a workplace where you sometimes feel like you're treated really poorly both by your superiors and your peers. Maybe a God has called you to a neighborhood where people don't all look like you or think like you. Maybe God has placed you in a place where it will require sacrifice because ministry to people is messy. Now, Paul points us here to this truth, that, it, that is the grace of God that has been provided for you and I to shift our thinking from that ministry, that calling, that place that we've been placed, those people that have been put around us, to think of them not just as a burden, even though it might be burdensome, but in that burden because we are called to administer, to preach, to share the good news of Jesus, our Savior, as a gift. So, so that's the first perspective shift, uh, from burden to gift. Uh, the second one is from being an outsider to an insider. Pick it up in verse 4. Paul says, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. 
Uh, so Paul is writing this letter, uh, and both to the original audience and to us, he's saying, look, God has done something miraculous here. And he's going to use this phrase, the mystery of God, which we'll talk more about in a minute. So we're going to kind of go quick past it here for a moment. But he's referring to the things of God planned in Jesus, Jesus' salvation. He's saying, look, we didn't get this before, but now we're getting to see these little slivers of what God was up to. And in particular here, he's saying, we're seeing that one of the things that God was up to in Jesus is he has united the entire world that would call Jesus Savior, that would worship him as king, that would walk into his kingdom. He's called them to be one people. Because this is, this is a paradigm shift for anyone reading it, in particular for those in a Jewish audience who saw themselves as God's one true people and them alone. He's saying, no, it is not just a, a one racial group that then was going to bless the earth and invite people into it. It is a new people that God has made for himself, knitting together everyone under the banner of Jesus' name. And so he's saying to the Gentiles, uh, he's saying, look, God has in Christ revealed this mystery, kind of summarizing even what Chris worked through last week, uh, that he said strongly in chapter 2, that God is doing a miracle and uniting people of all different races, classes, and social order under the power of this new covenant in Jesus. He's saying that God has, has provided the gospel to them, this, this window, this picture into the beauty of the ways that God is working. Paul says that through the grace of God, he was then called to be a minister of this. And I love the, the title he uses uh, later in that. He says, I, I am a servant of God in this. That God gave me this revelation. God changed my perspective. He showed me that all people were one, that I might exist as a servant. Uh, I keep alluding to, and forgive us that we haven't been able to do this, but we really want to provide with you as we get closer to fall, like a composed uh, plan and document of kind of what God has been doing as we're planning for the next few years. But, but just as a tidbit, since you came on the 3rd of July, uh, one of the things uh, that we're really passionate about is continuing to develop other leaders here at River City Church over the next few years. Uh, and, and as we think about developing deacons, uh, future elders, other people to minister here at River City, uh, we want to see a, a wide variety of people, uh, different, different, different backgrounds, different cultures, different genders, serving in all sorts of different roles as they are called to do in Scripture. And we want to see that. But one of the things that we want to see more than anything else is that this culture of servant leadership would whittle its way down into who we are as a people here at River City Church. That when you think leader, when you think pastor, when you think deacon, no matter what you think of that word or you've never heard it before, when you think like person uh, in the local church leading, the, the first thing you would think is those people work their tails off for me. Because this is the model that Jesus showed us, and this is the model that Paul, even in his language, continues, of servant leaders, those called to unite the family under one banner, serving each other so that they might see people move from outsider to insider. And Paul here even ties himself to that. Even though he could have been seen, like we said, as, as some sort of elite, a person with the perfect pedigree uh, within Jewish culture to become a leader and establish himself, and then to move that clout into into Christianity, he sees himself as needing Jesus to make him an insider too. God uses the work, the word of God, carried by the people of God to make his plans to redeem all people known. 
One of our desires is that this would be reflected more and more here as we move forward, that we would see truly the diversity of our city reflected in our body and in our leadership uh, as we move forward. Not because it's popular or good, but because God has called us and placed us here in this place to share the gospel with all sorts of people in the context which he has placed us. So we've seen a transition from, from thinking of Paul's ministry as, as a burden and his imprisonment to a gift. Uh, this ministry of moving people and himself from being an outsider to an insider. And then in verse 8, we see this movement of the way that we think about the things of God from being a complete mystery to instead being a wonder. Verse 8. It says, this grace, of, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to all the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Paul does two things here. He kind of goes, he goes backwards a little bit, and he goes forward uh, way far into the future, I think. Uh, Paul reminds us of, of not only his history, but the history of all of us. He, he reminds us here, and it's helpful for us to remember, as Paul sees himself, like he sees himself uh, as one who was just, just years ago persecuting Christians, right? Was rounding up Christians uh, for their imprisonment and, and some for their death. Uh, he sees himself as that Jewish elite looking down on the Gentiles as people who just didn't get it or understand what he understood. Uh, but now Paul, I think, still sees himself as an outsider. Uh, where, where most of the other apostles were called to bring the ministry of the gospel first to the Jews, Paul was very quickly called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So he's thinking about the track of what's happened in his own life, and then he's beginning to speak again, like we said, about this mystery of what God was doing. He says, I've been called that I might be able to reflect on, to show the manifold wisdom of God, that it might be known. The last perspective shift here is that we move from seeing the things of God from being a complete mystery, which we can't understand, to instead being a wonder. Paul says that he was given insight, and he uses some really crazy, lofty language. He's saying, look, I was brought, and this, this, this revelation from Jesus, it shed light for all on this administration of what God had been doing throughout the ages. He's saying, I got a picture of what God was doing from Genesis into Revelation, right? From the beginning of time to the end of the earth as we know it here before it's remade. He's saying, I was given a window and insight into this. And he even uses some crazy language here. He says, like, look, I was given this and I was seeing this picture of how God was doing this thing. The, the glory of who he was and what he was done would start to reverberate throughout the earth and even into authorities in the heavens. He's saying the work that Jesus has done is going to show itself off that every single living creature from the beginning of time to the end of time as we know it are going to see the work of God and marvel at his plan. Now, I chose that word wonder pretty carefully, right? Because before we see Jesus, before we begin to have our hearts shifted by the Holy Spirit, the things of God can just seem like a mystery. And that means that they are, they are unknowable and we don't know them, right? But when we move to seeing the work of God instead as a wonder, our heart shifts from saying these things are unknowable to just these are things that I don't know. 
And so even when you read this passage, you you read it, you're like, I don't know what some of this means. Rob sent me like an 80-minute podcast that I tried to listen on 2X, just trying to figure out what he means when he talks about these rulers and authorities in the heavens, because it's confusing as all get out. And I've got to be honest, I couldn't make it through the whole podcast. I was like, I'm just getting more confused, right? But I think that's kind of the point. Is that Paul is saying here, I I was given a window into this, and and we are just beginning to move from saying, man, I can't even understand what God is up to, to just saying, like, man, I'm just in awe of what God is doing. That our goal is not perfect understanding of the work of God. It is to trust that we see the work of God starting to play out before our eyes because he's beginning to give us insight into the mystery, to move us from saying, I'm just confused and no one can get it, to saying, I'm amazed and I know that God understands it. The ministry of the work of Jesus moves us from mystery to wonder. And so we desire that that we would see an unfolding and a revelation, that we continue to have these moments where we're like, man, I see how it all works together. It's like when you're putting together a piece of Ikea furniture and you're halfway through it, and the little guy in the corner has like the question mark, and that's like the you did something wrong thing. You're like, I got to take this whole thing apart. And you build it three different times, and now you've weakened it, and you're like, Ikea furniture is junk, and it's really, you just can't follow instructions. It's pretty well built, right? And then there's this moment, you're like, oh, I didn't insert the dowel here, and this, whole, this dowel holds up the whole thing, right? And now you, you see the whole thing, and it comes together, and it goes from being this frustrating thing to you being like brilliant engineers in Sweden, right? Meatballs and this, how could, how could both? Just seems like too much for one culture to contribute to the world. We desire that, that our, our view of the gospel would start to make us wonder and marvel at God's amazing plan. That we would stand back as we just start to see unfold what God has done in Christ. That we would start to see it unfold here in the earthly realm. And that we are to know that even in the heavenly realm, this unveiling of the majesty and the wonder of what God has worked is beginning to show itself. As we move from just confusion and frustration at the brokenness around us to instead seeing God begin to redeem and change that which was broken and to make it new once again. Uh, that song that we talked about earlier ends like this. It says, So if hope turns into sorrow, and you're not here tomorrow, I'll still have your voice in my mind. And maybe that will be my little thread of silver lining. Uh, I read those lines, and I just feel sad. <laughs> I read those lines, and I think, this moment in this song shows the vapid nature of believing in nothing. That all you can cling to outside of the plan and the work of God is a silver lining. All you can do is try and insert something into the story because you're like, look, I don't understand it, so maybe this small piece of this will bring me comfort if you're gone. Maybe I'll cling to this. This is starkly different from how Paul wraps up this passage, speaking about the change in perspective that comes in Christ. As in verse 12 and 13, he writes this. In him, this is Jesus, we have boldness and confidence and access through faith in him. So then I ask you, do not be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. 
Paul here sums up this section that we're covering this week with the largest perspective shift of all. That even in the depths of one of the most difficult seasons of his life, he, because of his faith in the workings of God through all time, can have faith in this moment. That Paul's perspective shift is from thinking that he needs to be in control to instead understanding a sliver, a silver lining, if you will, didn't write that, but it's good, of God's control, okay? Paul sees in this moment that we have had a positional shift, that we have gone from being outsiders who understood nothing, uh, that this little bit of knowledge of God's plan and goodness is now going to allow us to endure hardship because the boundaries between Christ and man have been dissolved. That, that as you place your trust in Christ, this, this son of God who came, who died a death on the cross to pay for your and my sin, who rose from the dead to bring new life, who now reigns in heaven and who has promised to elevate you and I to the status of members of God's royal family, that this perspective shift in understanding our position to the creator, the ordainer, the sustainer of all things changes everything. It lets us see our ministry as a gift, even if we, like Paul, end up in chains. It reminds us of who we were, once outsiders now brought into the family of God. And it gives us insight just a sliver into God's glorious plan, which is still unfolding in our midst. So that even when things are difficult, even when it doesn't work out, even when our, our strategies and our planning, our ministry are hard and burdensome, that we believe and trust that God is in control and that we have access to him. That we can speak to him, that we can come to him as a loving father because Jesus has forever shifted our perspective and our actual relationship with him. Would you pray with me now? God, these perspectives, that our ministry is a, is a gift, that we are now insiders, members of your family, that we are to wonder in your marvelous plan, and that we have access to you, it is so easy to lose this perspective to take our eyes off what you have said is true and instead to look in front of us only six inches and say none of it is because of the pain that we feel, because of the burdens of our days, because of our struggles. God, I pray that you would help us to keep perspective. God, I pray that that would be one of the reasons that we come together is that every week we need to, to reset and remind ourselves of this existence and this perspective that you've promised is true. So God, now as we celebrate communion, Lord, as we sing another song together, uh, God, would you in the miraculous work of your Holy Spirit do the, the amazing miracle that only you can do. God, take this from being just talk, from words, to testifying to the fact that it is truth. And let that truth sink deep into our heart, the core and presence of who we are. Let it be seated in our mind and unable to be set aside that it might miraculously change us to become more like Christ, our Savior, our brother and friend. We pray this in your name. Amen.